Just because we are good hosts, I will say a few short sentences in Afrikaans, and then we'll go in English. Die sondagskoolkinders moet uitgaan. Die ouwe kinders, senior sondagskool, daar staan dan die Greta daarachter, Herman is al daar, hy wacht vir julle, Amelia, ek dink, dit is sêke jou groepie, julle gaan nou soon toe. Die junior sondagskool gaan hierop, saam met Tanny, nie, ek wil net sê, van die linkie gee nie meer, vir hulle nou vandag nie. Um, junior sondagskool hierna toe, die senior sondagskool, um, gaan boon toe. Die beste wat ek kan doen is maar om een rooie hemp aan te trek, ek sal niks verder sê, daar oor nie. <laughs> uh, we are privileged this morning um, to have um, Jonathan, not only for Jonathan here, but a few friends that's involved with the Linux Ministries um, together here this morning. South African congregation um, went through a process where we prayed about and believed that that's the way the Lord brought the Linux Ministries on our way and uh, for the and we decided to support them as one of our mission partners. Um, normally how it happens is that we like to support people with much more than just giving them funds. Um, it's important for us to share their lives, to share what's going on, what's happening. And you will know better than most of us that uh, at this stage Europe is on a very... Very at a very strange junction because there are literally thousands and thousands of people coming into Europe. It's unprecedented. Um, but Jonathan told me that's nothing new for them. They've been, they've been working with migrants and immigrants and, and people fleeing their uh, homelands for a very large number of years. So I want to... Um, Ask Jonathan come up forward. Um, he's going to share uh, what the Lord put in put on his heart, uh, what they are doing as um, the Linux Ministries in Greece. So, Jonathan, it's a huge privilege to have you this morning. Let's give him a, a warm welcome. So, you've got that. Hey, I think so. It's such an honor to be here. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I don't know why the guys put it short. Always they think I'm shorter than. It's prophetic. Calimera. Calimera. That's better. Uh, the, the, we, we know what the heavenly language is going to be, so I feel my mission is to try to help congregations at least get through the door when that great day arrives and we're all there. Um, seriously, it's wonderful to be part of God's body and to be with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> we feel very, very warmly blessed um, being a part of your family uh, through the incredible 
love that's extended to us from all of you through Brink and Alette. Um, you need to know that there's a tremendous um, sense of gratitude not only to your congregation for the way you stood with us this summer, uh, but to a tremendous expression of God's love from the South African community. Uh, each summer we invite the world to come and help us save our nation. And it's a wonder how Greece is constantly in the news. There's always some crisis. Uh, if it's not a political one, it's an economic one. If it's, you know, not uh, some form of elections, you know. I think we're the one country in the world where you can close the banks for a month and a half and nothing changes. <laughs> then, you know, the UK has very graciously invited um, as the mayor of the small island of um, Lesbos says, guests, refugee guests. And the UK with its robust economy it has welcomed and over the next five years a very generous plan to welcome 20,000 guest refugees. And the little tiny island of Lesbos that's 15 kilometers away from the coast of Turkey had 20,000 people come through the island in the last 10 days. To give you an idea of the magnitude of the problem uh, that we face. Um, my intention this morning is not just to tell you about the need, uh, but my desire to fellowship with you in the spirit. My desire to encourage you in what the Lord has for you in these last days. My, my desire to encourage you to, to understand how vitally important your personal role, your personal decisions on a day-to-day -day basis are on the purposes of God through the ages to establish not only this congregation but His kingdom on this earth that will extend into eternity. Uh, so I thought what we should do is maybe begin with a little video that will kind of give you a little picture of what where my heart led me. Um, my, my prayer is that each of you daily will be asking of the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me as your servant to do in obedience for you? And um, my, my testimony as of the last just couple weeks or the last month was this, this, this nudge in my heart from a piece of news that I heard that there were refugees in need that were flooding through this island of Lesbos. And we're sitting there in Athens and I'm saying, I can't just sit here, go about my daily business as though nothing has changed. I wonder if God wants us involved somehow. And following that little nudge of the Spirit, um, I was cons consistent with all my responsibilities, but I decided to take a trip down to the island of Lesbos. We squeezed in a small rental car, a car about five of us, and we began touring the island. And this little video was our first kind of understanding of what happened or what was happening on the island. So let's go ahead and just view this little video and then we can kind of set the reality of what's happening in Greece aside and uh, then we can just dive into God's word and see what is it for us that God desires for us to hear, to respond to in obedience and to do for his glory. Amen? So let's... let's uh... 
Our hearts are touched and moved as we see the litter spoon across kilometers of this island in, of Lesbos. Right across the way is Turkey, about 15 kilometers away, and countless families are in search for a better life in Europe. They've, they've traveled from Iran, from Afghanistan, from Northern Africa, through Turkey. They've made their final stretch across with the hope of a better life. There's vestiges of uh, elements here. There's a broken um, paddle uh, of instructions from the UNHCR here. We've found just hundreds and hundreds of life jackets. Imagine people never have seen the ocean, uh, but they've been willing to wear a life jacket and come across on a, on a, uh, a small inflatable that they'll cut with a knife and tear it apart in order to um, uh, need to be saved uh, here on the shore. Um, we found uh, some, they're, they're food samples like a fig bars and, and seasickness pills and uh, for them to be able to make this passage and uh, some other medicines and very, very moving people that are willing to lose their identity. Uh, people willing to lose their identity. Here's a passport from the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan uh, and they're willing to leave this behind uh, in order to start their new life in hopes of finding something better on the continent of Europe. Uh, as these people are searching for hope, uh, we want to, uh, to be the ones to be able to point them in the right direction uh, of where their hope can be found uh, truly uh, in the one who gives hope. Went back from that trip, um, arrived in Athens, sent a couple text messages to some friends, and I was requested to put a proposal together for the next two months, what a budget might look like. And just from walking the shores and looking around and talking to the people that were making their way on the 60-kilometer trek into the capital, um, we formulated a plan and we could distribute water. Uh, we could uh, provide towels where they could dry off as they got off the boats. Um, we could provide a food bag in the evenings when we were, you know, traveling back and forth across the island, when the headlamps would fall on refugees that were sleeping on the road, we would have to swerve so we didn't literally run over them. And as the windows were down and the air was blowing in the car, I felt a bit chilled. And I thought to myself, what about these guys, what about these refugees that have nowhere to sleep, uh, so shouldn't we get some sleeping bags? And um, I just created these lists of needs that I, I saw and I began to respond to. And uh, as I took steps towards uh, that sense of urgency and the, the human needs of these people, um, surprisingly, um, a very large sum of money um, was granted for us to engage and bring help to these people. So we have a warehouse and it's currently filled with 10,000 bottles. Actually, the, sh the first truckload just left two days ago. Um, but we had 10,000 bottles of water on our first order, uh, 7,000 sleeping bags, 5,000 um, towels, and we hope to do everything in the order of 10,000. That'll last us about a week, maybe maximum two weeks for distribution. Um, but it's just been very amazing as we've taken steps towards 
uh, encountering this need and trying to engage with the, the physical reality of these people, um, we have goods. But the kingdom is not made up of stuff. Like it's useless in a warehouse. The kingdom sometimes is more readily financed than it is served. Sometimes it's easier to write a check than to stop on the side of the road and deal with the needs of a homeless. The gospel is invasive if you choose to walk close to Jesus. It will destroy your sense of control. It will take over your life. It will impact the way you think. It will impact the way you view history. It will impact the way you view the world. It will impact the way you, you, you lead your family. And it will change your perception of the ideals of the Christian life in a comfortable Western setting. One of our helpers went down and I sent him down to represent our efforts and he says, Jonathan, what are we going to do? They're not giving us permits for this. They're not helping us with this. They're not, you know, the, the city doesn't, the, the village doesn't want us. They're afraid of the refugee crisis becoming a permanent, you know, part of their culture and their their whole society is built on tourism and tourist, tourism industry has just stopped on this island. They said, they don't want us. What should we do? We want to help, but we can't. I said, Christos, all you need to do is go to the beach and when some of these refugees come out of that boat and they land in the water and they're soaking wet and they're handing their little baby from one arm's set of hands to another and I said, when you go up to them and you touch them and you look into their eyes and you recognize that they're human beings just like you are, I said, your reality will change forever. That's exactly what happened. He went down to the beach and he said, Jonathan, you're not going to believe what happened. This couple came out of the water, off the boat, and I offered, I had my car. So I offered just to take them to, to the main town. And it turns out that they spoke German like he did. And he talked the whole way about how he had, they're from Iran, and how he'd gone to Germany, and how he'd gone back, and how everything in his life had just completely collapsed, and there was no hope for, for, for safety for his family, and the fear of ISIS. And so he said the only thing left to him was to run the refugee route and land on the shore of the island with a hope that he can get his family to safety. Christos is there, he's heading up the project, and there's no end to what we can do. Um, but that's just one small part of our lives as, as they look today. Tomorrow there'll be other crises. There'll be other opportunities for the church to respond to. We live in a nation that only has 20,000 born-again believers. And uh, our hearts are to see the gospel spread through Greece, and then to the extent that we can reach to. Uh, which, um, as you know, Greece is the last kind of stop of Europe, and across our borders is the incredible vast domain of Islam, with one billion people that are waiting and waiting and waiting for hope and for the gospel.
It's going to take the whole church to encounter this opportunity. But what I'd like to do is just look at the kingdoms that, that, uh, that God is speaking about and, and your role in it. It's, it's been such a wonderful opportunity. I'm not a big tourist, but, but Brink and Alette graciously have just blessed us in every way you can imagine. And uh, I just said, you know, I have one desire. I want to see the White Cliffs of Dover. I don't know why. I've seen it on a calendar. I've seen it, you know, in history books. I want to see the White Cliffs of Dover. I had no idea how far we were from it. I didn't know how long we'd have to drive. And we got there yesterday, and it was just unbelievable. And so we went into the tunnels, and we saw how operations were set as the United Kingdom was being impacted by another authority that was spreading across Europe, 1933 with Hitler's rise to power. And then when we finished that tour and that encapsulated part of history in World War II, we went to Dover Castle and we walked all the way up to the top and then we walked into the, to the, um, uh, to the king's chamber and then next to his throne room. And then we saw the video about 400 years of the reign of King Henry II and his, his uh, legacy of, of, of kings and queens that followed. The UK has been all about kingdoms. But there's a kingdom that is everlasting. There's a kingdom that you and I are called to serve. Amen? There's a kingdom where the rules are completely non-negotiable and they're counter-cultural to everything we know. It's not about rule, the rule of power, but it's about the service towards the poor and towards the most needy. It's the love and the nature of forgiveness. Amen? So what did Jesus teach us in his final hours on earth? I know that you have been focusing a lot on fruitfulness. And what does fruitfulness look like on the front line? And I want to assure you that I'm not here today to sell Hellenic ministries or to sell you a project or to ask for your money. Uh, we, we, we thank you with all our hearts for what you've done. But what I want to encourage us in is what did the kingdom look like and what is, what is it that the Lord is calling each of us to do as we embark on this mission and we're invited to, to build this kingdom that, that Christ died for. What's your role in it? What's your purpose in the kingdom? You know, is it just about missionaries or, or social initiatives or, I mean, after all, every single NGO on the planet is on Molivos Island. Not, not where the need is, you know, on the, on the shore where they're arriving, but in, in the capital. Uh, where they've got their nameplate, they've got their little flag flying, they've got a little container, and they're all doing the socially acceptable thing so that the media spotlight promotes their organization. And I told Chris, I said, our, our motivation is completely different. We don't have a nameplate anywhere, but we're servants of the Almighty King, and we know what's motivating us. There's going to be a line, long lineup of refugees who believe in Islam, who have believed in Islam and have never been encountered by the radical, counter-cultural values of the kingdom of God that reigns in the hearts of his people. And the only way there's going to be that transfer of values where the gospel is always is going to make a, a change is, 
is the decisions that you make. The decision of how you choose to live, how you choose to respond to opportunity. I'd like to draw our attention to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> um, normally I like to take a little passage and just focus on it. Today we're going to do kind of a page-turning, referencing various parts of God's Word. <clears throat> I need to, just wanting to make sure that, I, can someone help me with the time? Maybe Steve back there. I don't see a clock. And you know what they say when preachers take their watches off, right? You know what this means when I take my watch off over here? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, so, um, there's the various um, stages of the cross. I'd like to posit a few of those. And, and I would like to ask you to put yourself in the place of those early disciples. The question I have for you today is, how are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus at a distance? Or are you following Jesus right behind him? Where is your Christian life of obedience and where does the rubber hit the road in your Christianity? Is it in complete obedience to everything that Jesus desires you to be and to go? Because where Jesus goes, if you're falling from a distance, you can choose to, to kind of go or just kind of stay on the fringes. I think a lot of our Christian life in terms of our Western Christianity is lived in the fringes. You know, we, we know that Christ is in the center, um, but we may not be like just completely aligned with, with the cross. So we have these disciples and the first stage is set there when there's a couple of the disciples are sent and they're asked to prepare the, the place for the um, last Passover. And uh, it's a great place. It's a great place. It's a place of comfort. There's food. There's the company of the twelve and Jesus. I mean, after all, I mean, this was a great guy to hang around with. He, he washed their feet. Yesterday in the king's chamber, we had, next to the king's chamber, or maybe on the next level, I can't remember where it was in the, in the, in the castle of Dover, but there was the, um, the, the, the banquet area, the, where they ate their meals. And you just sensed there for a moment. What would it be like to be in that upper chamber with Jesus in the privacy of a beautiful meal and just that company? In Eastern culture, everything happens around food. There's nothing, there's no such thing as fast food. It's all part of the company. And so there they are, and Jesus um, presents the, the cup of the new covenant, uh, covenant um, which is represented, where it represented his blood that was going to follow. He challenges them, uh, challenges them on who's going to be the greatest. And then he begins to work on their faith in verse 31 when he tells Simon that he's going to be sifted. This is chapter 22, verse 31. He says that his faith is going to be sifted. He's going to give permission to the enemy to really test his faith. I wonder if there's times of testing that come our way. When we just interpret it as a time of suffering and all out, you know, where maybe something's wrong in our lives. But maybe Jesus, in his foreknowledge, is wanting to prove your faith. 
and he's allowed you to, to, to encounter suffering. And so he, he reminds him that um, his faith can't fail. His call to you and I is that our faith in him can't fail in the hour of crisis. And so the picture is back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 31, where he takes Moses up onto the Mount, Mount Nebo and he, he allows him to cast a vision of the promised land. But because his faith wasn't sufficient to believe in the salvation through, through the person of Christ as it relates to us in Hebrews, Moses himself and Aaron weren't able to enter the promised land. And so the call of God, I think the first point is that he's calling on us that our faith be pure. Our faith be strong in the person of Christ. After all, what is the gospel? So often our faith is related to, you know, get me out of this situation or my bank account, related to my bank account or to the trouble of my kids. But do we really believe that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected? and that he has the power to forgive sins. Is that what marks our life? Is that what marks our faith and our prayer? <clears throat> then Jesus begins to um, encourage them about what's, or try to help them understand what's going to happen. And Peter wants to show that he's really committed to the Lord. And so in verse 33, um, Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you even to prison and to death. You know, if we were to take a little test, you know, how's your faith this morning? Yeah, I love the Lord Jesus. Maybe some of us would be so bold to say, I'm willing to give my life for the Lord. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. We move on with Jesus. Now he's going to the, to the Mount, of, Mount of Olives. And it's interesting because this was a usual place of spending time. Jesus went out as usual, verse 39, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Okay, so they left the banquet. They've had that little exchange there, Peter and Jesus did. Then they've walked over to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples are right there with him. There's no suffering involved yet. Kind of picture of the church worldwide. Things change very quickly when suffering comes into the picture for some. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And I'm just sharing things that have impacted my heart and my life in the last couple of weeks from his word. But my, you know, when we pray, Lord, keep me from temptation, what, what, are, what do we mean? Uh, Lord, as a guy... Help me not to fall prey to the sin of lust, pornography, other matters of lack of self-control. Those are the temptations that, you know, I immediately respond to. It's like, Lord, I need help in these areas. I'm weak. Jesus, I don't think, is talking about that. What Jesus is speaking about is something far more critical in nature. Not that those prayers aren't important. I think what Jesus is calling out his disciples for, he's warning them that there's going to be a time for if the gospel is going to spread to the ends of the, of the earth, 
It's going to require a kind of faith in the person of Jesus that is unrelentless. I gather my kids around every once in a while and I ask them, okay, how, how are you guys doing in school? And I, I just go ahead and I've, we've had these discussions. There will be a day when someone will walk through that door and they'll say, deny your faith or we'll take your life. And I ask the kids, what are you going to say? And I ask you the question, what would you say? See, because our faith in the person of Christ will give us the strength to do everything else that we need to do. So the Lord is asking him, asking the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw behind them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The prayers that not only will we know Jesus, but we will be obedient in the critical moment when salvation for others is... Is, is, on, is at stake. We're having this little discussion in the car coming. Uh, I found myself in, a, in an airplane and I, in South Africa and I became very nervous. I thought something was wrong uh, with uh, the ailerons on the plane. And I made a bit of a show in the, in, the, in the cockpit, I mean in the fusel, in the cabin area. And I demanded that the plane stop even though it was taxing to the end of the runway and I'd be let off because I didn't want to be in this plane that I thought was going to crash off the end of the runway. And at one moment, I had to make a decision. Am I going to be ashamed or not speak up for what I believe is truth? Or will I be more concerned about what others think of me? And when it comes to the element of salvation for others, where your testimony is needed, Oftentimes we shy away because the dignity of our identity is more significant and more valuable to us than the act of reaching out to save someone by identifying with the shame of the gospel. Are you tracking with me? So you go to work and you have an opportunity and you know that the name of Jesus has power in that relationship, in that situation. And, and you know the Holy Spirit is leading you to say something, to go out of your way, to pray with them. Have you ever been in those situations where it's somebody that's totally foreign to the faith and you just sense you should be praying with them and, and you just mo hold on for a moment and say, you know what? That would be misunderstood. I better not do that. And you miss an opportunity to bring the gospel into context of that person's need. Um, I was in the Greek army and People ask me about my sex life. There's two and a half thousand soldiers. And as far as I knew, I was the only believer in the entire compound. And, you know, some people ask, you know, so are we going to go out and get a woman? I said, uh, I don't think so. Well, why not, Macrice? What's wrong with that? I mean, what do you, what do? You, do? You, have, you have a wife? You have a girlfriend already or something? I said, yeah, I do. And uh, she's in America. Oh, well then, I mean, come on. I mean, let, let's go out tonight. Uh, what are we going to do when we go out? Well, we, we get hitched up, you know, go get, a, go get a girl. I said, I don't think so. And so word got around very quickly. I mean, this, these discussions were happening when I was checking in and picking up my uniform and picking up, you know, 
<laughs> putting stuff in the bag as we went through the line and, you know, getting our shots. And, you know, this was indoctrination day, number one. And I'm already exposing my beliefs because of direct questions that are coming my way. And every time I shared my faith, there's a sense of pride that I belong to Jesus. And every time I had an opportunity to share about the shame of the gospel, it was glory in my soul. It didn't matter. I, I was the majority in there. I mean, it didn't matter if there's two and a half thousand soldiers. I was the majority because I knew who I represented. And I was proud to represent my Savior. Plus, I had nothing to lose. <laughs> I was just like them in that situation. All of a sudden, one day, I heard my name called over the sound system. Would soldier by the number of such and such please report to the officer's club? Or officer's, yeah, whatever office. That man alive. I've tried to be a good soldier. What have I done in these first couple days that's gotten me into trouble? So I went up, and as I walk into the room, there's like 20 officers uh, in the room. Uh, the lights are low. The sun is coming through the window. The, you can see the beams of light through the smoke that they're you know, smoking. And the guy in the end is leaned up against the wall. And he says, McCree's at ease. So I stand at ease. He goes, what's the matter with you? Is it true that you've never had sex with a woman? I said, yep. He said, then they, the room just busted into laughter. And there the shame of the gospel was kicking in. And I sat there, and instead of feeling shamed, I felt this sense of glory, this sense of victory, this sense of power. And uh, the next question was, what's the matter with you? You have some problem with your hormones? I said, well, do I look like I have some problem. I mean, I am short. Okay. But other than that, I mean, is there, do you see any physical issues that concern you? And um, at the end, they asked, why? Why, McCreese? And I had the opportunity to share the gospel. And I shared the love of the Father that, was a, that, that sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross. So that those of us who believe, if we believe in that power, that resurrected Christ, we too would have the power to overcome in this life and have eternal life. I went on and expressed how God has called us to be holy and how when, even when we fall, there's grace for us because of his work. It's not my work. And as I completed that little test, time of testimony, they all sat back in silence and then they said, McCreese, you're welcome to leave. And as I walked off, the sense of joy just poured through my soul. And that was the story of my life for the, 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 in the following year. But it's that, conf, that point of context where we have to make a decision. Is it going to be God's glory or is it going to be our effort to protect ourselves and, the, and our own dignity? Um, Peter goes on to um, disown Jesus. And in verse 54 of chapter 22, it says, Peter, uh, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. You see how things have changed now? He was with them at the table. He was with them at the garden. He vowed he would die with Jesus. But when the real test came, suddenly... He followed at a distance. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. How fickle we can in our faith. Hmm? 
I wonder if people in your workplace know that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Do you take those opportunities to identify with the shame of the cross? I wonder if that servant girl wasn't maybe sitting there in the grass when Peter and the disciples were taking the bread of the miracle of Jesus and feeding the 5,000. I wonder if she wasn't among one of those that looked up and saw Peter and said, wow, look at there's a few, select few that get to be with Jesus. Then the time of the crucifixion comes. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene. Wow! Okay, here's the, the cross has finally come. There's no disciples in, mentioned anywhere in that, in that uh, time between Pilate and Herod and the, and, and the ridiculing and the shame and the flogging of Jesus. There is no disciple to be found anywhere. In fact, in Jesus' most difficult hour, when he's asked to carry his own cross, what happens? They find the man from Cyrene, today's Libya. The gospel is already in effect, and Jesus isn't even on the cross yet. The gospel is for all nations. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. And identifying with the cross is this man from Cyrene. He's totally not a Jew. But his life intersected with the cross. Just like our lives have intersected with the cross. And something really neat happens here. First of all, it wasn't even Simon from Cyrene who had a choice in the matter. They seized him who was on his way from the country. And I thought, that's kind of neat. Each of us are on a journey. And somewhere along our path, Jesus has intersected our lives. It wasn't because there was something good about our nature that we accepted Jesus. It's the grace of the Lord. Amen? Through and through, it's the grace and the work of the Lord. And our lives have intersected with the cross. If we read on the continuation, he was on his way from the country, and they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it. What cross are you bearing today? I guarantee you that if you're bearing some kind of a cross, you didn't choose it. I guarantee you that it was not your dream and that, that wasn't part of your growth plan. But what does the Lord say in, earlier in Luke 14, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 27? He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him bear up his cross and... Follow me. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is where it gets really exciting because in this little verse, there's the context of where Simon, who's bearing this cross, is to Jesus. You know, we have this image that Jesus just broke down and he just he got left behind and the cross went and they had to drag him up the hill. They made him carry the cross behind Jesus. Is that cool or what? You, know, you might be carrying a cross today. Where's Jesus in your life? Hmm? The accuser comes and says, it's all your fault. You didn't do something right. You, it's your, you're to blame. You could have done better. If you'd made better cho choices in life, you wouldn't be where you're at. Well, maybe it's the cross that you're meant to bear. It's not your choice. But where's Jesus? Jesus is right in front of you. He's leading the way. The proximity to Jesus in our Christian life 
is so vital for the nature of the kingdom and for the power of the gospel. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. It doesn't reference the disciples. And then on to Jesus' death. Verse 40, 49 of chapter 23. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance. Where, where, how are you following Jesus today? Are you bearing a cross, and has that cross made you bitter towards the Lord? Or is that cross bringing you closer to the proximity of where Jesus is and what his will is for you? And then at Jesus' burial, verse 50, Now there was a man named Josephus, a member of the council, a good and an upright man, who had not consented to their decisions and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting, he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that the world pursues, don't worry about it. God will add them to you as he sees that they're necessary for you to pursue the kingdom. If we don't pursue the kingdom, this world will continue to go the way it is, trying to make sense of life. <clears throat> then there's a the story of the others that were waiting for Jesus, the road to Emmaus. We won't, we won't stop there, but let's just go to the end, chapter 49, and we'll wrap it up here. Then he opened their minds, referring to those to Cleopas and his follower that were on that journey to back to Emmaus to pick up business on Monday morning after the crucifixion of Christ. And they invite him into the house, and it's not until he breaks bread with them that they see the signs and the marks on his hands. And they run back and they tell the disciples, and now at the very end, the disciples have come back to Jesus. Then he opened their minds, verse 49, so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What's the purpose of the church? That we tell everyone that Jesus is the Messiah, sent of God, who died and had the power to be resurrected from, from death. That's our purpose as a church. He opened their minds and he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what needs to conform everything in your life in terms of alignment with where Jesus is. Jesus' heart is on the nations. And until, the word of the, the, until this message of the kingdom and the gospel of the risen Savior reaches the last village in the world of Islam, our purpose as a church is not over. Amen? So let's let the politicians say what they want. But we're going to capitalize on every opportunity the Lord gives us as the body of Christ to introduce the message of the gospel and that the sins of the world can be forgiven by none other than Christ himself.
there's a real change in attitude in verse um, at the end of, at, at, in verse 52 at the end of, of Luke then they worshipped him at the ascension and returned to Jerusalem with great joy that's the result of alignment with the Lord Jesus pick up our cross we follow him but when we're in step with the Lord knowing that he's right before us our lives will be filled with great joy um, if you're pursuing great joy in your life there's only one place you'll find it and that is in the purpose of the king's business. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how. Just make sure that your life is aligned totally and that everything that you have is aligned totally with the purpose of Christ and his kingdom. And if you've been out of sync with that alignment, the beautiful thing is that there's enough grace to call you close to himself. Amen? Uh, so may, may you be strong in your faith. May you long for his return. And may his kingdom be impacted significantly uh, because of the choices you make on a day-to-day -day basis to bring everything that you are, everything that you have in perfect alignment with his purposes. Uh, and may the Lord lead us triumphantly together for his glory. Amen. know that it's not us only that come close to you but that you are here and that it's you that's with us that makes everything different thank you for the scripture thank you for everything Jonathan's shared with us thank you for needing the world and for the way that you want to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to get involved Dear Lord Jesus, will you be with them in everything they are doing? Will you bless everything they, they try, the difference they try to make in the lives of so many people? And will you use them as powerful instruments in your holy name? Amen.